Today, I have Dr. Jaspal Singh stepping into the Net Nihangs Arena. Thank you and welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, before we get into too much, why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself, what you do and what your expertise is, and maybe what we're going to focus on today. So, um, first of all, I have to say uh, the opinions today are my own. Uh, they're not a part of any other organization. They're not a part of any other um, uh, employer I work for. Um, so, I'm a pulmonologist, critical care, and sleep physician. Uh, for today's podcast, I'll talk about sleep disorders, which is kind of a, a passion I've had for a long time to discuss uh, as a former medical director of Carolina Sleep Services and um, and um, really enjoyed sort of getting into the weeds of sleep disorders, especially for our community. So thank you for having me today, because I think sleep disorders are something that we don't talk about as a community very much. Well, I it's not even that we don't talk about it. We're not even aware. Yeah. Um, honestly, like it's something that kind of hit my radar maybe about a year or so ago, because um, there's a lot of like these power lifters and, and, and uh, trainers of professional athletes. And they started talking about the importance of sleep and recovery and performance. So that's kind of where it hit my radar because I, we'll get into that a little bit later, but it definitely sparked an interest in me. And I started watching a lot of videos and stuff. So when I decided to start doing this podcast, you were the first person that came to mind because that's what I had associated with you with. I didn't even know about all the pulmonary stuff, which by the way, for all of us lay people, that's like to do with lungs and respiratory systems or can you please explain that a little yeah, bit? Absolutely. So I also do a lot of work with related to um, advanced diagnostics in lung cancer. So lung oh, okay. awareness, lung cancer disorders, and those things are associated with lung cancer work and diagnostic studies. And some of the technology is kind of my, 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 my fun hobby is to, you know, some people golf, I play with medical technology a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's just one of those things I enjoy. Um, awesome. I also do critical care medicine, and obviously with COVID-19 currently being the pandemic, um, a lot of my work has been focused for the last six months, particularly focusing on the pandemic uh, management. So that's interesting, actually. You just brought that up. And, and, and again, if you feel like we're going off into the weeds somewhere, just bring me back. But with all this COVID stuff going on, how, how are you practicing? Because I noticed there's a shift towards like telemedicine, um, doing things over Zoom like we're doing right now or, or some other kind of format. But, you know, what I can, I can only imagine it, it, it's making it easier for everybody to connect and see their doctor. But what are the challenges too that come in? What are the pros and cons of, of that kind of um, interaction with patients? Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of pros and cons. Actually, I have a couple of podcasts on that as well. So you're know, happy to send you the, send our listeners the, uh, the information on that. Yeah. Yeah. Send me the links and I'll post it into the description. Absolutely. So uh, telemedicine, obviously, um, and especially as it lays to sleep, actually, it's really nice because we don't oftentimes want to go see a doctor for common things. And so telemedicine has really taken off in the pandemic. We've, we've been inching at it for like the last 20 years, but really in the last six months, we've done more towards that, towards that, that route than ever. Um, right. So I do a lot of uh, virtual critical cares, as we call it. Um, we basically, in fact, I'm zooming in from my home computer workstation where I can actually monitor critically ill patients from three states away. Oh, wow. So, you know, and so we have presence across several states in our health system. And so it's kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of amazing what you can do with the high level decision making you can do. I mean, you can't, it's not perfect. You can't do everything. Uh, yeah. it, um, it's, so it's missing some of the sort of tactile parts of how we practice. But that being said, with modern diagnostics, communication, team-based care, and boots on the ground that you can trust, you can do a lot of things through this method. So are you able to like actually monitor people sleeping? Well, you can. Remotely? So in sleep medicine, we've done remote monitoring for 
you know, decades actually, where basically okay. are videoing people in the sleep lab and a sleep facility. And now with home testing now taking off since the pandemic, it's been taking off for a couple of decades, but really the, since the pandemic now, most sleep labs have sleep testing has shifted to the home by far oh, wow. away. And so we have home devices, wearables, other de- devices that have technology, technological monitors. People can sleep in their home and see the quality of the sleep actually to w- discuss it with their physicians. So, okay. So you mentioned quality of sleep. How do you define quality of sleep? Great question. There's probably to simplify things, I think for our listeners, I think in the sleep world, we tend to think of sort of two aspects, the quality of sleep and the quantity of sleep. The first one, let's start with the quality. Quality of sleep means we generally have what's called biologically for um, several decades, we've known um, sort of for half a century, we've known that the sleep, our brain wave, our brain goes into a deeper sleep. Sleep is restorative. It's necessary for certain biological functions. You mentioned recovery. You mentioned um, uh, all kinds of awareness, fatigue issues, psychological factors, cognitive factors that that sleep really affects, that proper sleep affects. So you need need high quality sleep to do that higher performance. But sleep also, uh, from a quality perspective, people have gone into various sleep stages. And there's sort of like two main classifications of sleep stages. Uh, to make things simple. One is called REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. Right. The second right, okay. being non, non-REM or non-rapid eye movement sleep. And there's several stages of non-rapid eye movement sleep. Most people get about 20 to 25% of rapid eye movement sleep to be restorative. Um, okay. And then uh, roughly, and then a lot of rapid eye movement sleep happens in the latter half of the night, the second half. So if you start is, thinking is that, about- Is that where we're actually dreaming? Is, is yeah, that- it's, it's associated with dreams, absolutely, and so uh, with a with the loss of muscle tone and dreams, oh, and so the idea is that you know it's that you want to achieve a certain percentage of non rapid eye movement and rapid eye movement sleep, especially the rapid eye movement sleep, which is oftentimes in our society curtailed. Because what happens is we, we try to shorten our sleep cycle to get our whole checklist done. And oh, so right. we don't get enough quantity sleep. So we don't get enough rap, rapid eye movement sleep. And so you end up with this sort of, you don't, a lot of our, people in our society don't sleep long enough. And in, in return, don't get the high quality that they normally need. They may not sleep through the night. They may not have, they have a lot of awakenings for, for a lot of reasons, whether it be some of the things that the, the cycles that they have, the choices, some other issues like anxiety or other concerns that might be waking them up at night. External noises might be waking them up at night, or they may do it to themselves. They oftentimes, we oftentimes tend to be our own worst enemy in our society. Not everybody, but some people yeah. are trying to really hard to like staying up late was considered really cool when I was younger. Uh, you know, yeah. Kind of uh, when you and I were younger, it was like our friends would stay up really late and right. do all this cool stuff. And, and uh, we'd be and, playing and, video games mostly up until two in the morning. It was, whatever it was, you know, and I have, you know, a teenage, teenage daughter stays up late to study or do other stuff. Another right. one does stay up late for other reasons. And so you start thinking through it. You're like, you know, you, you watch that you watch our society kind of do this to ourselves and uh, we don't get enough sleep. So what ends up happening is potential adverse health effects. And so loss of quality and quantity of sleep is now scientists, scientists are showing that it's not, associated, not only associated with lesser performance from a psychological factors, cognitive factors, memory issues, but also sort of deeper psychological issues like predilection to in, ch- in children, for example, loss of sleep or poor functioning sleep can be associated with ADHD. Oh, um, can be associated with other behavioral disorders, uh, school learning issues, um, keeping kids back a little bit and sort of hindering their academic performance. As we get adulthood, um, things associated with poor work performance, maybe burnout, maybe some of the burnout that we're seeing is partially yeah. at least explained by some of the sleep issues that we're seeing as well. Um, and then other health effects come uh, and the other health effects come come into that aspect. So um, not only just sort of um, mental health disorders like depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, but now you're talking about cardiovascular diseases, immune, oh, immune effects. So we talk about COVID-19 a little bit. A lot of us believe that actually one of the best things you can do to combat COVID-19 and other viruses and other is, is bolster your what's called the innate immune system, your innate right. ability to fight infections. And so one of the principal parts of that is getting enough rest, enough exercise, yeah. eat well, and rest enough. And so you need to sort of pay attention to your body. Um, the thing- yeah, that's something that's really ignored, I think, especially like in the media and stuff. They talk about like, you know, 
obviously we wear the masks, you know, because we're not just protecting ourselves, we're protecting other people in case we have it, right? But there's a talk about masks and social distancing and things like that. But there's like zero focus on your own immune system. Correct. Uh, what can you eat? What supplements and vitamins should you take? How much sleep should you be getting? You know, how and, and are, are is your body recuperated and recovered so it's strong enough to be able to fight any possible thing? Because we're, we're seeing such a wide variation of types of symptoms. Some people are completely asymptomatic and some people are under very, you know, having very severe symptoms and how, what role is that immune system playing in it? And then what role is sleep playing in your immune system? Right. That's exactly right. And so, and especially now going into flu season with flu, flu season and COVID-19, both, we're all going to be most likely at some point exposed. So if you're going to be exposed, you want to make sure your body is ready for that. And a lot of us have a very strong immune system if we pay attention to it. So things that we can do to help ourselves or chances of getting stronger and combating that is one of the things is getting proper rest. Like you said, exercise, rest, attention to wellness. Um, In the sleep world, one of the things I tell people is if you're using an alarm and hitting that thing, that snooze alarm multiple times to wake up, it's probably, it's it's a chance that actually you may not be getting enough sleep. And you need, to, maybe you need to really look back and say, you know, what, what can I do to make sure I get enough rest? Am I really getting enough? Or is that just the way I am? Is it just the circumstances I'm in? Is that just something I need to tough, tough through? Or should I potentially maybe do things a little bit different to recognize and perform at a, at a higher level? Yeah, you know, um, maybe you can give us some tips on how to get that better sleep. But one thing I've noticed is when I'm working out regularly, I sleep great because my my body is literally exhausted and can't wait to get to sleep. When I don't work out, I find that I'm I'm kind of having this light, dreamy sleep all night, and I I wake up tired. Yeah, that's very that's a very common uh, thing that many of us see, and so a lot of us recognize that that muscle exertion, muscle fatigue contributes to a deeper level of sleep. And I think especially nowadays, we mentioned the COVID pandemic, what it's done, it also makes a lot of people very sedentary. They don't yeah. get out. They don't go, get around. They don't even, some people are even nervous. Yeah. Guilty. In the That's me. Big time. I'm at my computer all day or I'm driving in my truck, right. literally not moving nearly as much as I used to. Right. And so one of the adverse effects of that is we're seeing, you know, the people with this feeling less tired, even though they're not exerting themselves, they're, they're feeling more tired, more they're, tired. Yeah. They're, they're not exerting themselves. And part of that we think is just lack of combination of things, not just the social engagement, the stimulation we get from that, but also the lack of muscle use usage. Right. Right. Um, and and it's a use it or lose it type of thing. And then you're not expending that energy. So now your body is kind of buzzing. I, I, I don't know how to put it. Like I'm, Mentally, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I lay down, but I'm finding that my body's not quite ready to sleep. It wants to do something. Yeah. So you mentioned sort of like what are some take-home points of people yes, can do yeah. to kind of sleep better? I think if you're really interested in the space, the thing that the term that we use is called sleep hygiene. So if you yeah. want to sort of look at the best practices of sleep hygiene, there's a number of resources available on the internet. And American Academy of Sleep Medicine has really nice patient information what, uh, sheets related to that. So does the American Thoracic Society and other societies have all, they all have this. But essentially what you want to do is sit, get a routine. Um, number one, you want to start to pay attention to your routine, pay attention to your body, which means that basically if you're sleepy, start think, really trying to adjust your schedule that you can uh, pay attention to when your body's most fatigued. Minimize caffeine. We don't realize it actually, but um, caffeine, as we get older, people are like, oh, people tell me all the time, they're like, you know, you know, um, I can drink a coffee and go to sleep, or I can drink a tea and go to sleep and I don't have a problem. You're a doc, you're not, you're not really. I, I say that kind of thing all the time. People tell me that all the time. And I used to be in denial as my, myself, but we don't realize caffeine is a drug. Hmm. So when we were younger, like any other drug, we metabol just like whether it be um, food or anything else like that, our metabolism drops, and it does for so for caffeine as well. So when we were younger, the half life of caffeine. So if you drank a uh, a nice big mug of chai or a big uh, Starbucks coffee or something like that or an energy drink of some sort, half that caffeine would still be there about three hours later. So. What happens is we talk, um, and so when you get older, though, that half-life extends. Wow, wait a minute. Hang on, hang on. Three hours later, that's about the time you might be 
eating a snack or another meal, you know, like that's, you could easily go from having like a soda or something with your lunch and three hours later drinking another soda or a coffee or something and it's still in your system. It's and and it stacks, right? So if you stack it where you're drinking several caffeinated beverages a day, the, the, the caffeine dose tends to stack a little bit. And as we get older, though, what happens is our metabolism starts to drop. So you and I are past our 40s. So uh, after we get 30s or 40s, our metabolism starts to really drop. We, we notice that when we, eat, when we eat even a little bit more than we used to, we gain more weight. You know? And so we notice right. that it gets harder to lose weight. It gets harder to metabolize medicines. Caffeine, same thing. So what happens on my older patients, as they get older, about 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, what happens is they're like, they can fall asleep because their body is so sleep deprived at the time it goes to sleep. But what happens is that caffeine is still there three or four hours later. So as their sleep deprivation starts to be resolved by sleeping, what happens is their caffeine that's still hanging around says, hey, I'm going to wake you up. Uh, I'm going to make you actually wake up a little bit, a little bit earlier. You may not sleep as restfully. And I notice it myself. Now that I pay more attention, if I drink a caffeinated beverage after 4 or 5 p.m., I used to be able to drink, you know, several caffeinated beverages a day without a problem and sleep well. But now when I do it, I actually realize that, you know what, I don't sleep as well at 3 or 4 in the morning. I'm waking up, tossing and turning, restless, make it up to urinate more often. It's something that we don't talk about in our society. We don't talk about urination at night because it's embarrassing. Um, but that's it's a common concern. You know what? The, you mentioned this urination at night. I actually read something recently that said that one of the reasons you might be getting up to go to the bathroom at night, we always think, oh, uh, prostate, um, you know, things like this, a weak bladder or something. Um, But I read that there's also something about with sleep apnea, that when your oxygen is getting cut off, your brain sends a signal for you to pee so that your body will wake up and start breathing again. Well, that's, that's one explanation. Um, so sleep apnea, let's kind of shift to sleep apnea. Yeah, sure. The yeah. other thing uh, we talk about, so wait, wait, let, me, let, me, let me step back. So let's okay. step back about the, the sleep hygiene. So we talked about pay, making a schedule, making a routine. The other thing we talk about caffeine minimization. And the fourth thing I want to say is, is, is gift your brain to wind down. And well, oftentimes we don't, we end up sort of checking our phones or our oh, yeah. messages and everything, and computers on, TVs on, other stimulation going on right until we go to sleep. And we actually recommend for people, some people can do okay with that, but many cannot. Many end up sort of like, you know, getting, having a little bit of downtime and you really want to make sure um, that you, that your bedroom is sort of like, you have some downtime to relax, downtime to make your brain wind down. Um, In the Sikh religion, we oftentimes do part. I think our gurusabs wanted us to actually wind our brain down and think of the last thing that we want to do is to swell up art. You know, we kind of think about, you know, what good thoughts we can have, appreciate our inner selves, the beauty of the world when we go to sleep. And so there's a certain psychology behind some of this work. Now, is there an amount of time that's necessary to wind down? Like, is there a minimum, like 30 minutes, one hour, you know, something like that, or just different for everybody? It's different for most people, but for those people who have an issue getting their brain wind, some people have a harder time with it than others. For those who have a hard time um, falling asleep, we recommend give about a half hour to an hour to wind your brain down which means okay. no devices, no emails, no text messaging, no checking your social media, like up until the late, late, you know, <laughs> yeah, we all, we're all guilty of that. I know. Right. And so paying attention to your schedule. And so these are all part of what we call, and then of course, minimizing caffeine uh, and all those things that we just mentioned yeah. um, can really help facilitate um, what we call sleep hygiene. The exercise you mentioned, that's part of sleep hygiene is sort of getting okay. your mind, focusing on sleep quantity and quality. Now, um, so if we pay attention to those things, there's, we can talk more about that if we need to. But um, the next step comes to sleep disorders. And one of the yeah. things that our culture does not do a great job in discussing, because we oftentimes think this is just something that, you know, is there's a lot of misperceptions. So one of the most common things that I see is misperception of a very common sleep disorder that affects a lot of people. Um, and, um, and that's called obstructive sleep apnea. And it's a very common disorder. Um, it's something that gets a lot of negative press, um, people, negative public perception, but it's extremely helpful to know if you have that or at risk for having it. Sleep. Well, Ray, real quick, before you continue with that, um, part of the problem, though, from what I've understood, is that like if you go get a sleep study done, 
your insurance goes crazy. Your health insurance goes crazy and says, oh my God, this guy needed a sleep study. And now he's at risk for diabetes and heart disease and all this kind of stuff. And your rates are going to go up. Is there, is there any truth to that? Or is this just kind of like the, you know, urban legend types of urban myths about you know, I, I can't speak for anyone outside my area in, in North Carolina. Okay. I have not heard that as a real concern. I don't know of other parts of the country that's a concern or not. I honestly, I don't really see it. Um, okay. What we see is what we oftentimes see is the opposite: is that people who don't pay t- that have the symptoms don't pay attention to it suffer consequences if they don't get it treated. And that, to me, is a bigger risk. If you're an employer, if you're a um, um, if if you're if you're someone a health insurer, when you're not treating something that's very easily treatable, um, not making right. effort, you may have more further consequences. Okay. Good so obstructive sleep apnea is basically imagine we talk about the deeper levels of sleep, uh, the deeper stages. Yeah. Imagine you will like we were when we were younger, the back of our throat was nice and stiff, you know, like other tissues were. But as we get older, like the, imagine like the flab in our arms or other tissues, we get things get softer. Hey, there's no flab here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's all down here. <laughs> so, so we end up, uh, so the tissues get flap, get floppier, sort of the ones in the back of our throat. And as we go okay. into deeper and deeper levels of sleep, particularly as we talked about rapid eye movement sleep, the deeper REM sleep, the tissues get really floppy. And so the point, there gets to a point where in some people, as they're breathing the air, the outside air, the air gets blocked up here or doesn't flow fast enough to get into your lungs. Now that's not necessarily related to um, being overweight or overly developed in your neck. You're talking about the actual tissue inside has softened. The tissue and inside has softened. Now yeah. there are factors that, that are contributing to that. Well, if you're overweight, okay. if you have a thicker neck, um, uh, if you have certain, and certain people just ha- um, have, a, have a genetic predisposition. Like the, okay. it's a family history there, potentially. They may have, may have to do with the, face, the shape of their mouth and the shape of their jaw. Um, Interesting. I, I, I have lots of questions about that too yeah. coming up. So because no, I read something about that too. Yeah. Go so ahead. Their jobs. Like for example, I have some patients from Southeast Asia, like like Chinese Taiwanese descent, who are extremely skinny. You know, people think yeah. that this were overweight, but people from there have a horrible sleep apnea because their jaws maybe certainly designed a certain way where they get more likely to predispose to closure. Very interesting. So the bottom line is, if you have this issue, what happens? Well, what happens is your brain goes into a deeper and deeper levels of sleep, and then your airflow drops, and your brain says, wait a second, I'm there. It might be, I'm just making you up, uh, but yeah, yeah. whatever it is, um, wait a second, I can't have you do that. So brain wakes you up, sends an arousal signal to your, to your body, and it wakes up the brain. It wakes up the parts of the rest of the body. And in fact, we can actually check what's called sympathetic tone in your, in, in your blood vessels. The sympathetic system is activated. It's mm-hmm. not normal for it to want to be that activated. And a couple of times a night, if you have mild obstructive sleep apnea, with this happening a couple times an hour, to like, it's not un- terribly concerning. But when you start getting to like 5, 10, 15, I had a patient last week, over 80 times an hour was this happening to him. Wow. And on top of that, oxygen levels drop tremendously. When if you have long enough closure, your oxygen levels can drop at night, all night. And this has been going on for months to years. And over time, the cumulative effects of all that could potentially cause not just problems with thinking, breathing. It can cause problems with cardiovascular risks, diabetes risks. And if I told you that if you had severe obstructive sleep apnea, let's just talk about the severe cases for now, which is often, which is common enough. If you have severe obstructive sleep apnea, um, if I, if, I, if I told you that, you know what, the treatment is not a pill, it's not surgery, and it's just air pressure, you'd be like, right. oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Right. That, and so the, the most common treatment is a, a heated, humidified air pressure delivered through a system called pa- positive airway pressure, or CPAP. You may have heard that term. Yeah, yeah. So continuous positive airway pressure. And there's different masks. <laughs> CPAP is just basically a little bit of a, next to your bed, it's a little bit of a, uh, a little device that puts heated, humidified air, either through the nose or through a special mask through the mouth, depending on your face, on your facial structure and your personal preference. And as your airway starts to close, it actually kind of stents it open. Just through the pressure of the air. It's not surgery and the air air pressure is customized, the mask is customized. And my patients who have severe obstructive sleep apnea, when they're treated, they oftentimes notice a significant benefit. Now you mentioned oxygen levels. What what is a normal oxygen level to have 
while you're sleeping, then what levels can it drop to that makes it so dangerous? Yeah, for most people, a normal oxygen level is, is above 90%, whether you're awake okay. or asleep. Um, 90% of your oxygen molecules are oxygenated. Uh, your chemical molecules are oxygenated. Um, but at night, um, it's not uncommon for it to drop a little bit. If you have lung 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 problems or neuromuscular problems, certainly that may drop it further. But if you start getting less than eight less than eighty five percent consistently, we get nervous. You know, we okay. worry about that association with other other diseases and why that's happening. So we start to get nervous about that, and so we actually monitor that in a sleep study, for example. Yeah. So um, I am familiar with CPAP machines. Now I'm going to um, maybe ask you some questions here. Um, and get your genuine reaction, okay? Because I did not do a sleep study or go to a doctor or do anything like that. I actually got a Dream Station CPAP machine off of Craigslist. Mm -hmm. Somebody who had um, prescription for it, they got a new one that they didn't need. So they were selling it brand new in the box and everything. I got that and I got a mask that goes over my nose and my mouth. Mm -hmm. And I have some questions about how how to fit it properly, you know, with a beard. But um, I didn't really get it for sleep apnea, I thought maybe I had sleep apnea, but it was more for like I was talking about the performance aspect, um, trying to get better sleep, sleep through the night. And it did take me a couple of days to get used to the mask. Um, but it's set, it's automatic, everything's automatic on it. And it's got data that downloads to my phone. Um, and I was able to after about a week, I was able to sleep through the night. And man, it made such a difference. I mean, I actually was sleeping. Mm -hmm. Like I felt when I woke up, I was wide awake. I was wide awake. And then um, I started getting curious, you know, like, okay, so do I have sleep apnea or not? And actually I, I have some of the, here, let me see if I can bring this up here. Yeah. This is the most exciting part of the podcast when I'm quietly searching for stuff on my phone. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me see. So it's cool because you can kind of see some of the things, but I don't know what they mean. You know, like I don't necessarily know what all these things mean. Like it, um, a a h i, right? A h i details. I have yep. Total clear airway apnea zero. Total obstructive apnea one, and total hypo hy, hypopneas. How do you pronounce it? Hypopneas. Hypopneas thirty five for and then i got six hours of usage that night and let me see what it says i don't know if any of this stuff is going to make any sense to, oh obviously it's going to make sense to you it doesn't make sense to me <laughs> but like 90 percent pressure was 7.9 cmh2o yeah average cpap pressure was 5.9 the minimum pressure was four maximum was 20 uh yeah, I mean, right. So what you're describing is so um, I, I would encourage you to actually just for your own sort of knowledge, as you're quite knowledgeable about this, for your own sort of mental sake and under, better understand why you're benefiting from this, I would encourage you to do at least a home sleep apnea test. Okay, just obtain one or um, get one done by, by, by your physician. Um, because actually, I think you'll better understand whether it's the sleep apnea, how, where were you when you started? Because a lot of us try to understand where our patients are, what are the indications, do they really need it? So most of us, the guidelines currently suggest getting a sleep study first as a first, as a, as a first step. Okay. What you're describing, though, however, a lot of us feel that, you know, why does CPAP pressure, which is not a pill, it's not surgery, it's just an air pressure, why does it need a prescription? You know, why can't we just buy it over the counter with our own stuff off the shelf? Yeah, I mean, I definitely wondered and, that. And I'm sure there's a good reason. I'm just a stubborn idiot. Well, I'm probably, <laughs> the skeptic in me thinks there's a financial reason. There's a market. <laughs> right. Think, uh, that's what I was thinking. But okay. there, there are some countries that actually do it that way. And there are some people who believe that that's how CPAP should be prescribed. Because one of the things we've created now by making this specialized sort of field and stuff is we've created this public misperception that sleep apnea is one, a disorder. 
you know, that really has a negative connotation that see, wearing yeah. a CPAP has is a pry of some sort. You know, I have a lot of younger patients who feel that, you know what, or they might be, they may not be married. They may be in unstable relationships. They may feel like, you know what, they don't want, they interferes, interferes with bed, 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 with bed partner intimacy. Right. Not, they don't want to have to take that with them. They don't want to have to travel with it. And so they have to, a lot of misperceptions here. And so we've, we've done is I think created this, this sense that it's not a, a thing that can become easily treated. So what you've done is actually what a lot of us actually kind of want to happen, which is basically like, hey, I'm not feeling so great. I need to improve myself. Um, and so let me just kind of pay attention to this part. Now, I would encourage you to just answer, answer the first part of the equation is, do I have obstructive sleep apnea? Okay. Probably do. The question is, how severe? And I think a lot of us like to know that ahead of time. Because okay. if it's only mild, we don't get terribly excited about CPAP therapy, a lot of us. But when we get severe cases, we try to understand the severity. And that severity is defined by how many times an hour this is happening or by how low the oxygen levels get and how consistently low they get. That defines our severity. And then treating yeah. it can be extremely helpful. And so what happens instead in our culture, and I'll tell you, I once had a, I went to a wedding one year and they made us room with roommate with other, with other people for this wedding party, which is nice to control costs, you know. But sure. oh my God, um, and this person snored so loudly. And I mentioned the room with a sleep doctor. <laughs> and I wasn't a sleep doctor at that time. And I was oh, like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. And like, it was like, a, and it was like, and so he mentioned something in conversation, like, hey, you notice that? Oh yeah, everybody jokes about it. My snoring is not a big deal. This is a big door, a big joke to the family. And you're like, now that I understand more, I'm like, gosh, like, your risk yeah. is actually really high of health is health problems. Well, you should get this taken care of when you're younger so we can actually improve your lifestyle overall and your overall health profile. Yeah. I mean, when you even think about that, that one, one night of snoring for him disrupted your sleep, right? Yes. Oh, it was horrible. It's, dis, it's disrupting his every single day ever since and it's before. That, it's, and that's true. And so, you know, we had to drive hours to get there. And then yeah. he, had to drive, he drove there too. And I thought he had to drive back. And I'm like, you know what? The one thing obstructive sleep apnea untreated is associated with is, is motor vehicle accidents. Seven to 12 oh, wow. higher risk of motor vehicle accidents. So on, we think about sick truck drivers, you know yep. what I mean? How many of them actually probably ha possibly have obstructive sleep apnea that aren't being treated and they're putting a risk to themselves and to the public? Wow. And so yeah, it's never thought about that. And so, yeah, you have to think about our community a little bit and think about what is our responsibility to our, our, our larger, our larger public, um, our, 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 our public, our greater public. And so I really think we should really be pay attention to it and not make this sort of a joke, but actually be like, you know what, let's pay attention to this our, so that our quality of sleep at night can be better. So what you had done on that machine is telling you that your stop, your AHI, your number of times you stop breathing at night is actually less than five times an hour, which is above five is when we start thinking about obstructive sleep apnea. But this machine actually has a way to sense how much airflow you're obstructing and you're actually treated for it. Right. Don't, you know, um, is oh, the go ahead. Part. Yeah. No, what I noticed too is just to destigmatize all of this. Yeah. Um, my initial ideas of what happens with a CPAP and what actually happens changed. Cause when I first put it on, I felt like, Oh my God, this thing is, it's not a ventilator, right? It's not forcing you to breathe. Yeah. It took a minute for me to realize it's enhancing my own breathing pattern. As soon as I start to inhale, it senses I'm inhaling and it pushes the air through. Yeah. And when I start to exhale, just naturally it senses and it lets off. So the initial reaction is it's, it starts to pump air and you're like, uh, you want to like fight it. And then you feel like there's something on your face and you're suffocating. But if you just take a minute and just relax your brain for a second, just start to breathe normal. The machine is actually enhancing your normal breathing rather than pushing how you should breathe. Is that, and I don't know if that's true for people with actual sleep apnea, but that's what I noticed when I'm using this machine on this automatic setting. Yeah, so what you're experiencing is very common, and it's a very common initial sort of the what we term the honeymoon period of CPAP therapy. Is like it takes a little bit getting used to understanding your bed partner and understand how to like how their patterns affect and how you're going to interact with your bed partner. Yeah, totally get it. Um, now I will say though, your experience was a good one. I have a lot of patients that are like you know what this is not natural. This is a machine. This is and you imagine now. Let's talk about risk factors for obstructive sleep apnea for a second. What is one of the biggest risk factors? 
postmenopausal status in women. So oh. postmenopausal women, you can imagine, imagine the aunties that you know putting a CPAP on. Right away, yeah. they're like, no, it's not a problem. It's a joke. This is ridiculous. We don't do this in our culture. And you yeah. think of how much undiagnosed obstructive sleep apnea there is in our community. And you start wondering about that. And, and I wonder about that all the time. I wonder how many people we're missing on this and maybe harbing, a harbinger of significant problems underneath. And we've actually, this idea of this public perception that this is not natural, that this is not how we should do, this is, I don't want anything on my face, I don't want anything to do with this, and not the willingness to kind of work with, you know, this bed partner in the way that you describe is uh, something that I think is a barrier. You know, um, I, I read this book. When I say I read books, I mean, I listen to them on Audible. Okay, so let me just <laughs> clarify that. Um, but there's a book that I listened to called Breath by James Nestor. And he talks about how the human jaw has evolved and how um, when they look at old dental records of even like Neanderthals and, and early humans, um, their jaw, their lower jaw was more forward and they had more room in their mouth. And they were able, they would sleep, you could tell they would sleep with their mouth closed. I don't know how they did all this analysis, but they were able to figure this kind of stuff out. And their teeth were straight. And one of the things he describes is that we stopped breathing from our nose, which is the natural way that we're supposed to breathe. And he talks about the sinus cavities, how you absorb 20% more oxygen going through your sinus cavities than you do going through your mouth. The same breath, right? So then you can actually breathe less per minute and get same amount of oxygen, you know, so he goes through all this kind of science explaining it. And he talks about that, that over time, our jaws have kind of gone back and our teeth have crowded in our mouth. And that's actually affecting the way we breathe and the way we sleep. And for people that think, oh, this machine, it's unnatural. No, what, what's unnatural is the way we've started sleeping because of the various factors, the diet, the, the weight gain, and even maybe some of the things I don't, you haven't really mentioned this yet, but your mattress and your pillow and, and how you're positioning your neck or whatever in your head. Um, those things are more the unnatural side of it. And these machines are kind of helping us go back to more of a natural breathing pattern um, to the point where like I've tried taping, um, I, I don't know if you do that with any of your patients, but I've tried taping. I find it to be a little freaky. Like you freak out a little bit like, oh my God, I got to open my mouth. I got it. But once I get used to it and, and I, I don't do it consistently, but once I get used to it, it usually takes me a night or two. I do really well. You know, I've noticed my mouth doesn't dry out. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've been breathing better all night. Um, and I've tried to combine it, the taping with the, mask, you know, and I feel like it's really good once I get used to it. But the getting used to it part is different because I've done so many years of the way I, you know, the way I am. And I, I guess I'm guessing a lot of people are like that. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, um, you bring up a lot of complex topics, you know, the idea of jaw structure, the idea that there are some people believe that palatal expansion of the of the of the of the mouth, for example, especially in the pediatric population, is a way to treat sleep apnea. That yeah. people now are doing surgeries now that are just a recent trial came out with expansion of the back of the throat. That there's a crowding in the back of the throat. Part of that is we just you know um, the only the hard thing is hard to know which factors are going to be an issue when. And which factors treating them is going to make a huge difference. I have patients that have gone through CPAP. Many do well, but some don't. Some have gone through surgery. Some go without treatment and change their diet, exercise. And we kind of follow them over time to see. And right now, they're still trying to learn as to which patients are going to benefit from which treatment the most. And yeah. there's not a one-size-fits-all. Okay. And then I know like you mentioned surgeries. Uh, one thing that I think is common is people get like a deviated septum fixed mm -hmm. and um, that supposedly is going to help them breathe better and help them sleep better. I mean, but I don't, I don't really know. Not necessarily. Right. Not necessarily. It depends a lot on the anatomy of the person and the individual. It may help your snoring, but then the sinal septum here will not stop the blockage in the back of the throat. So it okay, kind of depends right. on a lot of issues here. And, um, and so I think there's a lot, 
a lot of misperceptions. And so I do encourage people, if they have obstructive sleep apnea, and especially if it gets severe, re- first of all, get tested for it. I mean, many people can do testing now in the home. You don't have to go to sleep. It's not going to be necessarily your doctor's going to send you to a sleep lab to spend the night. You may be able to get it very easily at the home, which is really okay. one, which is very helpful for a lot of my patients to understand that. Number yeah, two, and it keeps the privacy too, and people yeah, that are going to, yeah. Yeah, and then number two is talk to your doctor. And if you don't trust your doctor to do this, then talk to a special, find a specialist. And nowadays with telemedicine, you can find a sleep specialist anywhere on the country. So it's kind of cool. Even in pediatrics now, where we had a hard time getting hold of sleep specialists. We have pediatricians um, okay. that can, pediatric sleep specialists that can be, a, that, that you can make appointments through telemedicine virtual visits as well. And so we can kind of figure that piece out for your kids and everybody else. So that's the first step. Go, you got to, you got to get this done, get, um, get the sleep study done so that you can find out how many obstructions you're having and whether it's uh, non-existent, mild or severe. Right. I think understanding that part of your biology will be very helpful. And sometimes a, a single night may not do it. it. May need a couple of nights to kind of figure things out, but with the home test, it can really help a lot. Yeah. That's the first thing. And then the second thing I would do is, is if you're not sure or your doctor's not sure what to do, um, just kind of figure out, start taking a diary of what you've noticed. Ask others around you how you're sleeping. Ask others if you have, if you have that ability, if you're not alone, if you're asleep with other people. Yeah. Pay attention to your symptoms. How tired are you? What time of day? So uh, if you ever download what's called a sleep diary, we oftentimes have our patients do a sleep diary. When are they taking caffeine? When are they taking their medicines? What time are they taking their going to bed? What time they're winding down? And start paying attention to this. There may be a pattern that you're not seeing. Um, the other thing is start realizing what might be keeping you awake, whether it's be how many times a night you're waking up to urinate. <clears throat> Maybe that, you know what, you have a symptom where your legs are creeping and crawling called restless leg syndrome, where you may be having a completely different disorder. And if you're um, uh, um, a premenopausal woman, that may be tied to heavy periods. Again, something we don't talk very much about, the idea of iron deficiency and other biological factors contributing to your sleep, that treating the iron deficiency may help you sleep better. Um, and so these are all kind of things to consider that it's not so straightforward that, you know what, um, I did a couple of things wrong, I fixed a couple of things, not a big deal, or, you know, uncle so-and-so, he snores, let's, let's ignore it, let's put it aside, it's just a family yeah. joke. Let's take it seriously. And let's try no, no, to that person I think- to get tested. I think your point about logging is really important because um, back in the day when I used to kind of help train some of my buddies, like, you know, they would say, put a workout schedule together, put a, put a meal plan together for me. What do I need to do? You know, and I, and I enjoyed that kind of stuff. So I would say, first things first, we're not going to do anything until I have one week of you just writing down everything you eat. Don't change anything. Don't, don't try to eat healthy. Don't try to eliminate. Just write down everything you are currently doing. If you have a Snickers bar in the middle of the afternoon, you go to the vending machine and grab a Snickers bar, just write it down. We're not judging it. I just need a log of exactly what you're doing. And the most important part of that was as you're writing things down, your brain goes, I didn't really need to eat that, but I had to write it down. Right. There's a certain kind of weird self accountability that happens. And then you start to change. Then when next week, when I say, okay, we're going to cut out that Snickers bar in the afternoon, it's easy to do because they already hate writing it down. Right. And so if you're writing and it's same thing with finances, they say that all the time, write down where every penny goes. And all of a sudden you're going to start saving money because you're going to hate writing down money wasted. And, And it's the same thing here. If we treat sleep the same way we treat, you know, our health or our finances and and because sleep is part of your health. If you treat it the same way and you're writing down this log of what's keeping me awake. um, How did I feel last night? How did I sleep? How do I feel in the morning now that I woke up? If you're writing all this stuff down, you're, you're going to start to notice yourself what some of the factors are. Yeah. I was on Facebook on my phone until 11 last night, you know, and your brain is automatically going to tell you subconsciously it's going to say, I hate writing that down. It's embarrassing writing that down. So I'm going to stop doing that. Not stop writing it down, stop doing it so that you don't have to write it down. Yeah. And, and, and our point isn't to like obsess about your health, because most people really don't want to obsess about their health. I think if they're realizing that, you know, one of two things, one, there's a problem. You're falling asleep when people, while you're talking, I mean, I have patients that will fall asleep while just, you know, talking in mid sentence. 
I have oh, wow. patients that have almost had several near act near 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 motor vehicle act, near 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 crashes, um, right. or a crash that brought them into the doctor's office. That's like the worst. You know, wow. God forbid somebody else gets hurt besides yourself, especially. I've had patients that you know over the years that you know have un- suffered heart attacks for unknown reasons, and you look back and you're like, wow, um, they had horrible yeah. sleep apnea that was never diagnosed or treated, um, and those are the things that you think about. You know, like you look about and you're like, okay, that's an issue. The other part of it is fundamentally what you're getting at is a, what you're kind of working on from what I hear you talking about is you're trying to constantly find a way to be a better version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so fundamentally that's with our guru's principles, you know, the idea of we, it's a journey and it's, it's part of that journey is to recognize, you know, how you can be a better version. We're all in different parts of that journey at any given moment, yeah. you know, and I have plenty of my own flaws, which we're not going to get into because of podcast. I look Come on, we could get into one or two. Podcast. <laughs> but like, uh, I have plenty of flaws and I might, I might say this stuff, but I have plenty of times I violated my own sort of advice, you know? And yeah. so, but the idea of, you know, all of us kind of trying to be better and it's not necessarily one big thing. It's like little things that we can do potentially that little adjustments that we can make to re- recognize that we can be better at what we do, accomplish our goals, accomplish the goals we have for ourselves, our family members have for us, or whatever our circumstances in life might be. And so attention Absolutely. to good sleep practices, attention attention to it's not just sleep practices, but also do you have a sleep disorder or does somebody you know have a sleep disorder and getting the proper attention that they can be um, the, the better version of themselves and have and fulfill their needs and goals is important too. Yeah. Okay. So um, I do have another question that I want to get into, but before I do, I kind of want you to finish the track of, you know, some of the things that you can do in order to prepare for a better sleep. So a couple things, um, cool the room down. Um, oftentimes oh. I know we want to sort of, I know there's certain climate or electric bills or other issues or depending on where you live about the, the, generally speaking, the cooler the room, we tend to sleep a little bit better, more soundly. Okay. Interesting. Um, and so that's one thing I think we oftentimes we don't recognize that darkness is our friend when it comes to sleep. Um, so the darker, the better, um, it just helps our brain to cool down. Um, I think for people who have a hard time shutting their mind down. They may need professional coaching. I think some people are the, some of the hardest people I have to, to train are the super successful professionals. Their minds are always going. Yeah, they're constantly going. They're like, okay. And then what happens is they wake themselves up in two in the two in the morning. For many of us, I wake up two in the morning. I come back to sleep. Of course, it may not be that successful, <laughs> but the bottom line is, I mean, no, I think you're pronto successful. I'll, Come I'll, on, I'll, I'll go back to sleep and I'll be like not thinking much about it. But I have some colleagues who are like, once two in the morning comes, uh, we actually have a term in the late in the, um, the the technical term is called psychophysiological insomnia. The colloquial term is clock watcher. What happens uh. is, and you can see it happening. A professional who wants to like has a high performing individual will look at the clock and say, oh, two o'clock. Oh. Gosh darn it. Now, if I don't get to sleep now, then tomorrow I have a seven o'clock. Then I have an eight o'clock this. I have a nine o'clock this. I'm not going to be tired by two o'clock. And then they start becoming their own worst enemy. Their mind takes off to a new level. That is they, definitely me. I they, do that yeah. a lot. I, if I, I'm looking at the clock going, if I don't go to sleep now, I'm not going to wake up in time and I'm going to be tired for my workout. If I'm tired for my workout, I'm not going to be good at my job. You know, like definitely I'm doing that. So what if clock watcher was the layman's term, what was the actual term that you used? Psychophysiological insomnia. That basically you're psyching yourself out and that uh-huh. resulting in a physiological disruption. Wow. Um, that you're basically your heart rate goes going, your body, your your body gets going, and pretty soon the insomnia starts to kick in because now you can't sleep for a while. And so that kind of gets you going. And so I think for that, actually, the most co- time-tested, proven therapy is sometimes includes professional coaching, what we, what we call a cognitive behavioral therapist or um, a cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. The, the term is CBTI, but it's actually a form, and there's a lot, bunch of people out there that, that do this, many of them now via Zoom. You can get a coach you, like you can for a double up practice. You know, like my son takes double up practice virtually, and, yeah. uh, and you can get a coach that can help sort of calm you down. There's apps that you can help calm you down. Like the, um, the calm app, for example, might be an yeah. app that you might want to sort of think about for some people. It's Girtan. I think Girtan is a very good 
depending on, uh, on, on how you react to it, can be a very good way to soothe the mind, calm the body, and make you keep perspective. Yeah, we actually have a Sonos system in our house. So we actually play Kirtan very, very lightly at night. Hmm. And uh, my wife, my wife uh, picks all the files, you know, because she's, she's constantly listening to it. Um, and then um, I do find that to be very soothing. But I'm actually really good about getting to sleep. Like if I lay down, if I lay down at like 930 or 10 o'clock, I'll just go right to sleep. My problem is if, it, if I don't go to sleep at that time, and I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, oh my God, it's 10.30. Oh my God, it's 11 o'clock. Or if I wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and I'm not falling asleep, I keep looking at the clock going, oh my God, I've only got three more hours of sleep. I need to get all three hours. Right. And I start to like obsess about that. Right. And you're not alone. A lot of, a lot of people have that issue. And mm-hmm. so it's just one of those things where, um, or they might have it at different times or a certain stressor kind of brings it on. Like, you know, something in life may have happened or something you're worried about, whether it be financial or social or, right. you know, recent family event that kind of gets things going. And so that's not an uncommon situation. So now you mentioned keeping the temperature in the room cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had earlier mentioned something about pillows and mattresses. What, what advice do you have about pillows and mattress? Um, so there's not really a lot of data about the pillows and mattresses. The pillow, the companies will tell you that, oh yeah, so-and-so company is better than others. Um, sure. But really it's the one that you kind of, I encourage people to try things out to actually, I mean, I know we don't like to spend money. I know we don't like to sort of have extra waste, but sometimes actually <laughs> going to a store and actually trying things out while you're there, just you know, be, to go to a mattress store, be afraid, don't be afraid to actually line the mattress, you know, and right. check, check it out, check the positioning out. And then at the next day, you've, if you've been to buying it, all of them, these companies have a little bit of a return policy or something like a, a, a certain short-term warranty. Don't be yeah. afraid to use that. And like, no, this didn't suit, this didn't suit us. Don't think that the most expensive mattress either will necessarily be the solution for you. I mean, you shouldn't have to break the bank to get a decent mattress um, to actually meet your needs. Now, whether they meet okay. your needs and your partner's needs, um, there's companies there that will help to sort of, uh, if you have a bed partner to accommodate, who well, may have a very different, very, very different comfort level, you may want to sort of negotiate something there and kind of figuring out a happy medium. Yeah. And then they have like those sleep number beds too, where the different sides of the bed can be different firmnesses and things like that too. Yeah, there's all kinds of um, nice, gimmicks out there. Yeah. 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 Gimmicks, gadgets. Some people swear by them. I don't yeah. have a sleep number bed, so I don't know for sure whether that's any better. Um, you want to know something hilarious? Years ago, we bought this years ago. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want everybody getting mad at me, <laughs> but we have a Trump mattress. <laughs> That's it's you know how he was selling all the ties and everything say about that one <laughs> he, he got he he was he sells everything right and he put his name on mattresses too and when we went to the store we tried out all these mattresses we're like oh this is our best one it's a good mattress i i won't deny it but it's not like he made it he just put his name on it but, but yeah it bugs my wife she's like i want to get rid of this <laughs> That's yeah i don't know if i get i don't know how well i'd sleep on that but <laughs> but, uh, but regardless uh i think it's um I think it's important to actually um, pay attention to your mattress in a comfortable pillow. You know, there's one pillow that we have that I just, I realized that that was a pretty bad investment <laughs> expense. And so I'm trying to like find a way to like, you know, unload it somewhere and I put it in a guest bedroom or something. My wife won't notice, uh, yeah. but like, uh, it's all kind of like, it's kind of depends on how your neck positioning is, how your body is. People have different spines, different sh- structures. And it's so not necessarily that you might just, because you know what? I've noticed that I have a tendency to get two pillows and kind of put my arm underneath because I feel like it keeps my neck kind of straight. Um, but you're saying that's okay. Just kind of figure out what's comfortable. It's not necessarily like a certain shape of a pillow or, no. or a certain density of pillow is the perfect pillow. Everybody's going to be different. Correct. That's as far as we know right now. There's not a lot of data, scientific data here. So most okay. of us are telling our, our patients, go ahead and find us what works for you. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. So I do have another kind of Siki related question when it comes to sleep, because again, a lot of what I've read, some of it is reading on the internet. Okay. I just want to be clear. I don't want anybody, don't take advice from me. I'm an idiot. Okay. I read stuff on Google and I listen to audiobooks. Okay. So, but I read that meditation can also have a lot of the benefits of sleep. And, you know, in Sikhi, obviously, we have this concept of meditating on Waiguru or doing Simran. 
or doing bot where you're, you have this single focused attention on something. Um, can you speak on that a little bit? Uh, what do you, what do you know about meditation and effects on sleep or it's, or maybe it's similarity to sleep? Um, it's a great question. I would say meditation is a lot of data to support meditation as a very good practice for restoration and focus. It has very, it has some compelling data for its neuropsychiatric effects. Okay. Now, um, do I think it substitutes for sleep? I think most of us would be leery about making that, that it substitutes because I think sleep as a distinct biological past, um, biological entity, meditation is still, if I understand meditation the way you're understanding it, um, I think your meditation is still mentally awake. Hmm. You're mentally focused, if not hyper aware, you know, depending on how well you meditate, which I'm not even close to there. So, (laughs) but that being said, um, I don't know if that's really sleep. And so from in terms of a brain activity, biological activity, biological phenomenon, what I tend to notice in one of, in our community is there is a very strong aptitude to meditate and pray, oftentimes at a sacrifice of enough sleep. Hmm, interesting. And I worry about that a little bit. I'm not saying that I'm I'm no you know I'm not you know any kind of spiritually enlightened being by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but that none of us are. I mean, come on, we're all guessing, right? We're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to figure it out, but I, I do see that a lot. You know, I see like yeah. you know like oh like you know what? Guess what? Like I'll like you'll I remember like we'll we'll have people I say let's do let's do Bart at four a.m. Let's do you know a nice really good. A Kirtan program at 4 a.m. Like oh, right. awake all day, and then but like afternoon they're falling asleep on the couch, passed mm-hmm. out where they are, not able to have a conversation when everyone's over. And you're like, wait a second, there's something you know. Then they don't even go take a nap. Just go take a nap. You know, yeah. go, go rest. You know, you don't have to be you know go 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 all the time, and then squeeze in a meditation and a bot or something else like that as. And to fight that sleep, I think you deny your body and your mind and potentially your soul a chance to really recognize its true inner self. Interesting. That's that's an interesting point. I mean, maybe going back to your earlier point, too, that bot before you sleep or meditation early in the morning once you wake up, once you had nice restorative sleep, um, they can the bot at night can help you um, kind of decompress and get ready to sleep. And in the morning meditation practices, doing Simran, doing bot can actually slowly waken you up without all the other distractions, without all the other go, go, go. And as long as you've had good sleep, you can actually maybe focus more. Right. Eventually. I mean, I have a routine. I think all of us have different routines, but I like to, when I wake up, actually, some people like to shower. I don't, I like to like first, like, slowly wake up, do some gent- quiet bark to myself and make my coffee. I mm. have a good, sl- I don't use an alarm. I just wake up. Um, unless I'm working the night shift, which is a whole different issue. Um, <laughs> not working the night shift. I'm good. Um, and then I can actually, um, take, take care of things and get going in the morning. I feel really just at my peak, um, after that morning coffee, after the morning meditation, after the morning sort of routine. Um, and I'm, and I usually work out at that hour. Yeah, it's usually now. If I get that workout in, then I shower. I feel like on my day is ready to go. Right, right. I feel really in tune with what's around me. If I break from that routine, my kids will tell you, Dad is not. (laughs) (laughs) They notice the weaknesses. The weaknesses come glaring. Um, My character flaws come out shining. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, no. I know the feeling exactly. Like especially with the whole that routine. I'm the same way. I don't need an alarm to wake up. I wake up pretty much 5:45 ish every day. And, um, if I follow my routine, I'm getting my workout in, I'm getting ready. I'm eating a healthy breakfast. And, um, then I'm starting my day, getting on my computers, checking my email. If I follow that routine, I'm good. But if I like, let's say I missed the workout, which, you know, this whole COVID thing, I thought I'd be working out all the time at home. I got my gym here. Kind of didn't have it. It almost went the opposite. But if I don't do that now, all day I'm thinking, I still got to get my workout in. 
And then you don't get it sometimes. Then you miss it. And then it's the end of the day. And now you don't feel good that you missed your workout. And then your next day can be off, you know? So that routine is key. And it's, for me, it starts with getting to bed on time so that I wake up at 545 refreshed and awake. I, I, I agree with you. Um, not everybody's a morning person either. So right, recognizing right. people have different circadian rhythms. Not, and not, not Sometimes you're not a morning person if all the time. Like I never was. Right. I was never a morning person. I would stay up late and everything and then wake up later or whatever. But in my recent years, I be, I've kind of shifted. And I think I shifted once I started paying attention to it. And then it became kind of important to me. But like you said, our community doesn't think about it. And there is kind of like this negative idea about any kind of problems you're having. It means, it means somehow you've been irresponsible with your health and nobody wants to admit that. Well, you bring up a very good point there. Um, I think one thing you bring up is, you know, we tend to think, assume that the late riser is a lazy person. There's a right, sort of right. a couple of factors here, right? One is sort of this, we've romanticized the, the, the 4 a.m. Amrit Vela thing a little bit. I mean, for many of us, for me, it works. It doesn't work for everybody. For some people, actually, it's actually a hindrance to their benefit to their, to, to them. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. I think it's something that is awesome uh, for me, for those people, those early morning people, but for those who aren't early morning people, actually um, trying to align with that actually potentially could be hurtful. The other part of it, we realize is that culturally we, as, I think many of us uh, come from an immigrant culture where Working hard, working all the time, mm-hmm. right. being an immigrant—that's that's how the way to the way to live. And and then and then we're surprised by this burnout epidemic, yeah. pandemic. And then you're like, uh, um, and then you're starting to think through all those factors, and you realize that if you go now in the sleep literature, now we're seeing more and more of what's called a circadian rhythm misalignment. The idea that certain people biologically function dif- function at different hours. And and have a different natural alignment with this with with sunlight, and I think not paying attention to our circadian rhythm can be potential or the rhythm, circadian rhythm rhythm of others is important. So you've seen the recent public controversy related to school school starting later in the day. Yeah. Part yeah. of that's based on some sleep science actually, and actually I yeah. applaud our sleep our sleep community from actually being vocal about embracing this later school awakenings now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all for that too. You know, I'm all for it. And then also the idea of we've, you know, we've sometimes shunned naps, but in fact, the nap, short naps can be quite restorative, you know? Yeah, especially and, if you feel like you need one. Right. You know, if, you, if you're feeling like you need one, you don't take one, you know, you're, you're, it's again, like you said, you're going for that burnout and you're not, you're not making a better living. You're actually dying. You're killing yourself doing that. You just, you just have to be very aware. And I think I'm becoming better now in my late forties, now more aware than I wish mm-hmm. I was more aware when I was in my twenties mm-hmm. of what I should have been doing. Yeah, if only you knew then what you know now. Right? I know, I know. And um, but that being said, I think there's there's something that I really want our community to pay attention to is recognizing you know our own selves and the and the patterns of others around yeah. us because I think we tend to jump to judgment, to jump to conclusion, think a one size fits all is the way it needs to be. And realize that there's actually room for a lot of diversity in the space of how people sleep, what they're doing, and how people function. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just sitting here thinking as you were talking, uh, my mind a little drifted a little bit. I was trying to figure out, like, when did we meet? Because I feel like I've known you a long time, but I don't think I've ever had a chance to really have, like, an in-depth conversation on something like this with you. I mean, I can't remember if we met at a retreat or did we meet after you got married? I, I just yeah, I I could retreat and then kind of over the years, some casual sort yeah, of. Yeah, like here and there running into there. each other. And then I, and then, yeah, and it was kind of, I think we connected one of the retreats recently with our kids being at the retreat and you gave a nice talk about, you know, um, about uh, Guru Amadas. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. At the camp, we were at camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At the camp. And I thought, you know, okay, kindred spirit. That's when I started realizing that, you know what, I think we could probably connect on other levels. Yeah, no, absolutely. We definitely should be hanging out more. I'm surprised we don't. I mean, <laughs> I, I know why. Actually, life. I don't go anywhere. I don't travel. Life I, I, and I, geography. Yeah, and we're in Michigan. You're in North Carolina. But you know, we come down there because just his whole family is there, right? So we come down there at least once a year, you know, sometimes twice. But yeah. we were actually just there this summer because my niece, Kiritkor, got married. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did a really small, socially distant 
kind of wedding. It was kind of neat how they did it because they had like little stations set up for each family with their own microphones. Oh, nice. So like you just did Kirtan from your little family station. So you didn't have to go intermingle, but it, the wedding was really nice. It went, went well, but uh, yeah, we just did that trip and then we kind of haven't really done anything else. Um, but next time for sure, we'll make a point to me. You guys are in Charlotte though, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We can make a point to get together. That'd be really good. Listen, we've done like over an hour here. Um, Thanks for yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. I really learned a lot here and I'm hoping that my listeners will get a chance to get exposed to you and a lot of the work you do. And then also just the idea of taking care of better sleep. And if you, if you think you might have sleep apnea, if you think you might have any sleep issues, like you said, you can do these home studies now, these home tests, and it's worth talking to your doctor about and figuring it out because it is as critical as any other part of our health. Like we worry about our workouts. We worry about our eating. We don't think about sleep and we really need to start focusing on sleep a little bit more. Yeah. I think especially, you know, I don't think we, one thing we didn't touch on was, you know, our population are, is at risk for certain diseases, you know, higher than potentially the average American population. And so okay. you start thinking like diabetes, diabetes and, and, and heart disease, cardiovascular diseases. Correct. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, we don't smoke. Generally speaking, smoking is not a big problem in our community, but alcoholism is. Oh, you start right. thinking about mental health issues and you start thinking about, you know, how sleep affects all those aspects. I mean, it's definitely little, not, little things can actually add up to be, make a significant impact uh, in, your, in your life and attention to all those other disorders. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. a lot of eye-opening stuff here, and I really hope people can benefit from it. Um, do you have a? Do you have anything like you can promote, like a, your Twitter or something uh, that people sure. can kind of go check out? Yeah, sure, go absolutely. Ahead. And then uh, maybe we'll kind of get together and do some telemedicine discussions. Sound good? No, that would be awesome. Come back anytime. Actually, anytime you want to talk about all the things that you might be an expert in, or just want to just talk, talk. It's okay because this podcast is very casual. <laughs> Sounds good, Nathan. All right, thank you. Why did you get caught so? Why did you get caught?